This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the Deputy Editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me, as always, we have our Editor-in-Chief, Al Sanasiri. Hello, everybody. What's going on, Al? And of course, on the other side, we also have our Executive Editor, Nathan Makaborski. Nate, what is going on? Hi there. Good to be here. Nate, uh, fully uh, working all of his muscles this, uh, this these last few weeks in terms of writing and editing and moving his family. I, I think in three legs in different parts of New Jersey. Yeah, I'm, I have to like uh, think about it when I'm pulling out of the parking deck here at Yankee Stadium as to where I'm going tonight. I have stuff all over the state right now, but hopefully only a few more days of that and then we'll start settling in. Well, that sounds fun. So obviously other things that are fun, Yankees are playing some fun baseball right now. We are recording this on Tuesday. The Yankees just had a pretty good series uh, to open the second half against the Red Sox on the field, I should stress. Off the field, obviously, it's, it's been difficult, and I'm not making light of it. it. It's just been a difficult continuation of a difficult year, year and a half. I mean, what, what else is new? It, it, it's funny to me because we're rapidly approaching the one-year anniversary of opening day 2020, and it reminds you of how short that season was and how crazy it was, but you look at the news, read the newspaper, you go on Twitter, and it's rough out there right now in a lot of ways, but you know, you think back to a year ago, and as rough as it is right now, and as vigilant as we all have to be with a lot of these things, it it does feel a little better in, in, in other ways. I agree. You know, it was disappointing to see six of our players obviously go on the COVID uh, injured list. And, and obviously from a, you know, more important standpoint, you know, you, you hope that they're all okay and going to be okay. And, you know, the frustration was... For obvious reasons, but also that, you know, you do sometimes, you know, think, hey, we're playing a full 162 game season. We have fans in the seats and you, you start to think that the worst is behind you. And then a situation like this happens and you realize that there's some bad times that we're still living in. And I mean that on a very micro level, of course, on a macro level, that certainly has been the case. And, and we all, of course, still need to be vigilant and get vaccinated and, and do all those things to hopefully push towards the the end of uh, an unforgettable era in our in our world but yeah this was a this was a big reminder that it's unfortunately not over it was nice to see our team come in and take two out of three games from the Red Sox coming off of you know probably the biggest adversity they faced all season and that was you know that was really nice it was I mean I liked how Aaron Boone characterized it heading into that series against the Red Sox that it was an opportunity for for guys who you know couple guys made their major league debuts. Uh, Greg Allen made his Yankees debut. When you're missing stars like Aaron Judge and Gio Urshela and guys like that, I mean, it's on everybody else to, to step up their game a little bit. And uh, taking two out of three was cer- certainly nice. For sure. So we're going to talk a little bit more about some things that are going on on the field right now as we speak. But you know, also in this episode, the things that we want to touch on are two features in the July issue of Yankees Magazine. The first about Mike Buddy, who is a former Yankees pitcher and currently the athletic director at West Point. 
And of course, Nathan, we're going to talk about your cover story this month on Gio Rochella. But before we even get there, it's difficult to watch baseball right now without having your mind on kind of like the things that are going on just outside the stadium or just off the field. But it's impossible not to be somewhat mesmerized right now by two things, I think. Number one, Garrett Cole. And number two, the very interesting ways in which the players who are on the field right now for the Yankees, in a sense, are playing such a different brand of baseball than what we're used to from the Yankees. If you look at just a Sunday night's win, for example, how different that looked from a typical Yankees win this year in a lot of ways. So, I mean, first, before we get to that, Garrett Cole, his last two starts, this is what you were looking for. This is what you signed up for when you tried to get nine years of Garrett Cole. It's incredibly exciting. He's uh, electric out there. Obviously, there were some circumstances and he had to make some adjustments. There's no doubt about that. It's been well chronicled. But, you know, I, I kind of scoffed and laughed and continue to now at the idea that, you know, whatever adjustments he had to make, he wasn't going to be able to successfully make. Why wouldn't he be able to? You know, he's he's, you know, one of the you know, two or three greatest pitchers in the world. And just like, you know, you'll see in my in my story in August, not to give too much away, Gary Sanchez had to make adjustments. Well, Gary Cole had to make adjustments. But if you're thinking about like, you know, who you would bet on being able to make those adjustments, you know, Gary Cole's a guy, I don't know, I'm not a better, but I'd put money on it. And he really did that in a big way. And I don't expect him to just because of the type of competitor he is and the type of student of the game he is and because of the talent he has. Oh, and, and, and his work ethic, I'll throw in as well. I have complete confidence it's only going to continue as we go. I don't know if he's going to you know, do what he did exactly against Houston and, and you know, in Boston, but I think it's going to be pretty similar to that. And you know, that's a prediction I'd, I'd certainly stand behind. That start against Houston uh, right before the All-Star break was one of the most memorable regular season games I've ever seen. And like, I mean, we watched, you know, we've watched thousands of Yankees games during our time here. And, you know, a lot of them kind of bleed together. And there's moments here and there that stick out. But that performance, that ninth inning mound visit with the manager and the team crowded around him. And, you know, you couldn't necessarily hear what he was saying, but you could imagine pretty easily what was being said well, there. He told us in the press in the post-game press conference, one of the words he said a couple times. <laughs> it was just so exciting. I mean, I, I let out a roar after the final, you know, those last three 99 mile an hour fastballs to Jordan Alvarez. I mean, it was, it just got me so pumped up. I It was, you know, one of those games I couldn't stop thinking about. There may not be any cheering in the press box, but there is in fact cheering in whatever house Nathan's living in at any <laughs> given moment. Um, but you know what, you know what I found interesting about that start? Because everything you said is 100% true, Nathan. But what I loved, in, and this is one of those things that it helps to pay really close attention to the team because you wouldn't, it doesn't translate in how you read it on paper. He was asked after that game about spin rate and if he had proven essentially, you know, that he could get by in a sense with everything that's going on right now. And his quote was, look at my career track record and look at my numbers. And that sounds really caustic in some ways. And that sounds really aggressive. But one of the very few, I would say, good things about all of these Zoom press conferences being available essentially for everyone to watch is if you actually go and look at it, you see it's an adrenaline-laced comment, I believe. You know, his pressers after games are always very funny almost because you could tell even whether he just pitched nine innings or he pitched six innings and he's been out for two hours, his brain is still kind of racing a little bit like a crazy man. But 
he wasn't saying any of the F-bombs he was dropping toward his manager, Aaron Boone. I think he was literally saying just, I have the confidence in myself at all times. And I have stuff I that you can look at very easily to back up that confidence. And I'm going to be okay. And and I thought it was a really, I, I like brash athletes. I like when guys believe in themselves. I would rather superstar athletes not try to act like they're just one of the guys or one of us because they're not. I like a guy who comes off the mound like Garrett Cole did in that situation and just, you know, shows like, yeah, you know what? I'm not worried. You don't need to worry either. I got this. I loved it. I love that he he said it and he, then he said thank you. And it was like almost this very loud exclamation point to a question that, you know, to your point, I mean, and I, you know, I don't know that he was insulted by it, but he just wanted to make that statement. And, you know, I, but, but let me, yeah. and I don't, I, I'm embarrassed right now. I don't remember who asked the question. And I think it was a fair question. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm not saying he didn't think it was a fair question. I don't think he was attacking her. I think he was literally answering the question as best he could. I think it was forceful. And I think there was some might behind it. But I think it was the answer to the question. I don't uh, think that yeah. she felt attacked by that no, answer at no. all. No, I think it was a respectful question. I think it was a respectful answer. And I think, yeah, there was nothing inappropriate or, or wrong with it or or aggressive. I just think it was like, I'm going to be fine. Yeah, look, look at what I've done, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's arrogance, but there's confidence. And there's a big difference between the two. Like you were just saying, you know, I don't like athletes that are arrogant, you know, that talk about, you know, how they're the best power hitter in the game or something like that. But I like a person who's confident. And I think there's a huge difference. You're not comparing yourself to others and saying you're better than others. You're just saying, I can do the job. And I think that's where the division between arrogance and confidence lies. He's not arrogant. He's confident and and it sounds good and it looks good and it feels good being behind him. It's awesome. And I think that's always one of the things about sports in general. That I think sometimes is a little bit hard for fans to understand in some ways. All of us, whether it's soccer or whether it's baseball or basketball or whatever, we grew up playing some version of sports. And so there's maybe this inclination to think that like, okay, I played baseball. I understand baseball and whatever. Garrett Cole is a better version of what I did when I pitched in baseball. And I think every so often it's helpful to remember that these guys aren't a couple of percentage points better at the sport than you are. When you watch the final round of the British Open this past Sunday. You might later that afternoon or earlier that morning be going out to play golf yourself, but you're not playing the same sport that Colin Morikawa was playing. You may be able to throw a spiral, but you can't throw 80 yards on a dime the way that Aaron Rodgers does. You know, And I think that there can come these times when guys are struggling and it's like, why didn't you swing at that pitch or why did you swing at that pitch and all these things? And you you say these things in a sense because I've played baseball, you know, I've stood in there, I know what it's like, but like, we don't have any idea what it's like to actually play professional sports. And I think the best place we're going to see that is over the next two weeks in the Olympics, because that's when you see sports that you've never played. You've never done these things. And so you have no idea what it's like to compete in team handball or diving or any of these nonsense things that we love and watch. Whereas, but baseball, sometimes it looks a little bit too familiar to us and it makes it somewhat easier to say like, oh, I can put myself in those shoes. And what I liked about it is, you can't really put yourself in my shoes because I'm better than you. <laughs> I'm doing something that you're not doing. Yeah. But but he does a, a really great job, uh, Garrett does, of, of allowing you into a, a little sneak peek into his brain. And we've really kind of experienced that since day one here, that, that opening press conference, just 
as much as I love watching this guy pitch, I, I really love listening to him dissect his own game and, and really give you a window into what's going through his mind out there. And, you know, he's one of those guys, sometimes uh, he'll get a seemingly just kind of innocuous question about something in the game and he'll just spew something that really enlightens what was going through his mind out there. And I, I always appreciate that out of athletes and to me, I mean, that's what makes sports more fun. I never gave a crap about golf until Tiger Woods came around, but then not only watching him play, but hearing him talk about his game totally hooked me on it. Garrett Cole, I think, is the same way. So that that was the first thing, like I said. The second thing, I am not one of those people who clamors for the Yankees to demonstrate more of an ability to play small ball or anything like this. I think the Yankees are built with as good a roster as you can build a team that has not had the luck this year that you expect and frankly has not had the luck in certain postseasons that you expect but i don't i've said before in this podcast i will stand by it i do not think it's because i'm a yankees employee i think i truly believe this i don't think the yankees are built incorrectly because they're not having the season we expected this year i think that it just hasn't worked every time and i don't think that the answer for the yankees is to play small ball and with that being said it was fun on sunday night because it's one of the things i love about baseball to see how there are different ways to win baseball games well, yeah, I mean, I think the most important word in that sentence was win. And, you know, Saturday night, it was uh, back-to-back homers from uh, Gary and Glaber that, you know, sent us to a 3-1 win, which sounds is, like 2017. Know, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Completely different from Sunday night's game. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you could chalk up that W, take it any way you can get it, you know. But I'm with you, John. It is fun to watch watch that kind of baseball. It takes us, <laughs> takes us back to our youth a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think we can... uh leave the 2021 Yankees there for a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot of baseball left, and right now, the team is playing as well as it's played all season, in a sense, and it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that going. Who knows? Maybe by the time you're listening to this, they've won a few more games in a row, but let's leave it there, though, and let's go back to the late 90s. Certainly very happy time for Yankees fans. And Al, you spent some time with Mike Buddy, a little-remembered, if you will, pitcher from that time, who is having a wonderful post-Yankees career and I have to say, before we get any deeper into anything else here, this is the story that we do that no one else does, and I'm thrilled that we did it. And I don't think there was anyone in the world clamoring for a Mike Buddy piece. I don't think there was any necessity in the universe for a Mike Buddy piece. But when you read it, you see why we do it, and you see why Yankees Magazine is special. And I, I just thought it was wonderful. Thank you for the kind words about the story and kind of validating why we do stories like this in, in your in your words. It's it's so true, John and, and Nate. I think that's what makes us special is showing our current players and our alumni in a light that they're literally never seen in, in any other place. And this was an example of that. I grew up as a Yankees fan. I was not working here in the late 90s. I was enrolled in high school and college, I guess, at that point. But um, I followed those teams you know, pretty closely. And I remembered him a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. And, you know, just kind of read recently that, you know, he, like you said, he had this great post-playing career and kind of reached the the climax where he becomes the athletic director at the um, United States Military Academy at West Point, one of the, you know, the, the biggest um, sports programs in the country. Um, and certainly, you know, uh, you know, the most storied military post in the world. And so it's, it, I, I said, boy, this is a story we, we have to do and reached out to a couple of people there and they reached out to, to Mike and he was willing to spend a better part of an afternoon with me and with, um, Ari Hecht, our, our photographer 
And we went up there and, and he was just so gracious with his time and in sharing all of his life experiences. I thought that his time with the Yankees on the 1998 Yankees and the 1999 Yankees, two World Series champions, would be a very, very small part of the story. And I will say it's still, you know, not the most important part of the story, but it was actually interesting to even chronicle, you know, what it was like for a guy to be on this powerhouse world champion dynasty team and be kind of shuffled back and forth from Columbus to New York City, back and forth, and and then, you know, kind of how... His, I guess, lack of long-term success as a player motivated him to have such a big post-playing career, and, and off we went. During your career here writing for Yankees Magazine, I mean, you've got to do stories in so many interesting and far-flung locales. What was it like spending a day at West Point? I got to imagine that that scene there is, is different than probably anything else you've experienced. What's funny about West Point is, from my house, it's about 25 minutes away. so. You know, you get to go to this really amazing and historical place, uh, a place that when you look at, you know, at what happened there, you know, during the Revolutionary War, if things had gone differently, literally, <laughs> you know, in the area of the Hudson River that you can see from Mike Buddy's office, you know, the, the, the history of the United States and Great Britain would be different. It's absolutely breathtaking. If you guys have an opportunity to go there and you haven't, go. Just being there is amazing. I tried to kind of paint the scene as best I could and not leave out any details. It's as beautiful as it is historic. We deal through it because of the Pinstripe Bowl and because of some of the interviews we do. We, we deal with a lot of athletic directors. We deal with a lot of college administrators in a sense. And there's a lot of people who rightly have some opinions on college sports that maybe it's not all the ideals that it claims to be. Mm -hmm. but, but Army is. And, and you know this when you deal with Mike Buddy and you talk to him, he's talking about athletes who are committing themselves not just to what their coaches need from them over the next four years, but what their country needs for them in the years after that. And, and it's a very different relationship that they have with their charges, in a sense, than any of these other college administrators you might ever want to do a story on. You know, Mike Buddy's a civilian. So coming into that, you know, he talks about being interviewed in the innermost room of the Pentagon for this job. This is a former baseball player. This is a guy who, you know, was an athletic director at a, at a you know, a, a regular college, basically, not a, not a military institution. And now he's thrust into this role where he's leading men and women who are participating on 30 different teams and who, after they're done with, you know, with their schooling and with their four years of, you know, of athletics, you know, they're going to serve their country. So what was really interesting about that was he was talking about his commitment and his, the, the commitment of his whole athletic department to giving them the best possible experience that they can get. And it's a different reason. It's not, not just so that they can compete with the Michigans of the world or whatever. It's so that they have the best experience they can because they deserve it because right after they graduate, you know, they're fighting for their country and, and many, you know, whether it's at peacetime or, or certainly at wartime, they're either preparing to fight for their country or they are fighting for their country. So that's a really interesting dynamic that he is a civilian and that he's leading these men and women. Well, I think these athletes uh, are probably uh, well served to have a former Yankee at the head of the athletic program there. What would you say the experience of having been a Yankee, like how does that benefit them or how does that benefit him as he does his job up there at West Point? This is pretty unusual for a former ball player to find himself in this role. 
Yeah, you know, I think he talked about that a little bit, you know, how he obviously has had to learn about other sports, you know, that they have, there's 30, you know, teams that they have there. He's like, you know, I had to really become, as an athletic director, a lot more than just a baseball guy. You know, he played football in high school and things like that. But I think seeing the way that the Yankees organization was run, not only now, of course, but but more importantly, when he was here and, and what a level you know, everything was handled on such a high level. I think that helped, you know, kind of give him some acumen of how to handle really a first class organization in in, in its own right, which of course is the United States Military Academy. So I would say that benefited him a lot. You know, he talked about how at times when he was when he was struggling to make it up the ladder in the minor leagues, you know, he had days where he's like, man, I wish I was drafted by the Montreal Expos or some other team. He he said, you know, that didn't have such a strong organization because I would have made it to the top quicker. But he then would check himself and be like, yeah, but you know what? If I was in their minor league organization, I wouldn't have the advantages I have in this organization. And I think he kind of took that and uses that in this job as, look, we want to give our athletes every single advantage that we can possibly give them because they deserve that. And I do think there's a little bit that kind of came from his time with the Yankees that you know, that where that was instilled one funny, you know, kind of note uh, about the day, you know, because you asked me about his, his experience with the Yankees was we were we actually did some photos and took a walk out onto the baseball field there. It was a little group of us. Um, like I said, Ari, our, our photographer, was taking photos and I was out there on the field and there's a hopper sitting there with a bunch of baseballs in it. And he's like, man, every time I'm on this field, I I just, you know, have that urge. It never goes away. And he runs over and he grabs a baseball and he runs out to the mound and he throws a ball up against an empty backstop. And, you know, it wasn't really that impressive of a a pitch. He's, you know, he's uh, 50 years old now. And, you know, he first, he makes the joke. He looks at me and he goes, man, you know, I'm doing this in front of you guys because, you know, I'm sure you're going to call Brian Cashman and, and make him rethink his decision, you know, of not having me in his starting rotation. He was joking. And one of the people who we were with said, Hey, you know, what was your out pitch? You know, like, I'm sure you had an out pitch. You know, every pitcher has an out pitch when they need to get a guy out, they use this pitch. And his answer was absolutely priceless. And he just kind of looks over at us and he goes, well, you know, therein lies the problem. (laughs) You know, there wasn't one. That's essentially why I'm here. His humility about his career was just really refreshing. You know, he's, Let's just say as as proud and as confident as Garrett Cole is, Mike can look back on his career and say, you know, I, I didn't have that type of ability. <laughs> and it's equally as charming. The story is called Cherish Position, and it's on yankees.com slash magazine now. And in the July issue, it's terrific. You should check it out. But one thing that I want to say before we leave it there is, obviously, you know, we grew up and you could look up any stat in the baseball encyclopedia, or if you got a baseball card, they were all there. And right now, you can look up anything you want on baseball reference down to like the details of the at-bat in question from 1923 or whatever. I mean, you, you can get everything you need there. But one thing that I love so much in the story is he talks about how Daryl Strawberry didn't let him leave the stadium on one of the myriad times he was sent down. He said, no, man, come back. We're taking the team photo today. This is 1998. And he said to him, this is a photo you're going to want to be in. So he kind of like hung around, kind of like almost sneaking around, like seeing how long he could stay there. And then Tori caught up with him and said like, oh, wait, come back here. You got to get in the picture. But that's such a special thing because he's in that picture forever. He's in that picture as a representative of the 1998 Yankees. Did he play a huge role on what became one of the best teams in franchise and certainly baseball history? No, but he's always there forever. And 
there's something about that that feels very of a piece with the military in a sense where you earn these medals and you wear them and you you constantly by the time you're done with this thing you're kind of walking around trying to stand up straight because you have so much brass on you but you earn each one of those things and each one of those things tells a story and it's important and here's mike buddy in that photo if you go look right now at the team photo from 1998 there's mike buddy and he's there and you don't worry about what he did to be there. You just know that he was there. He was a part of it and he earned that spot there. And I think it's super special and it's a funny story also. So it, I think it was the full package. there. Yeah, it, it, it was it was one of my, uh, I guess, one of the two favorite stories he told me. And and I, you know, I love that story because I've had a great friendship with Daryl Strawberry and I've always kind of talked about what a special person he is. And this is just another kind of example of the type of leader he was on those teams, the type of friend he was to everybody that. You know, Mike had been sent down, I think it was like, you know, August 29th or something right before the trade deadline. And he had been doing really well. And, you know, he was he was leaving in frustration. He was annoyed because they were going to be calling up the September yeah. guys the next day. And he was like, why are you sending me down? Can I just stay until tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. And, and so, it, yeah, exactly. And, and so it was a really funny story. And we talked about two different really funny things about that team photo. That was one of them. And then he alluded to afterwards, you know. I think I asked him about, you know, do you stay in touch with any of your former teammates or something like that? And he talked about being invited to a, like an autograph show or an autograph signing event or whatever with members of the 1998 Yankees. And he was like, I really was unsure as to whether I wanted to go because I know how these things go. You know, everybody's sitting, you know, every member of the team is sitting at a different table and people are literally lining up to get in the line for Daryl Strawberry or Tim Raines or Derek Jeter or Mike Buddy. And he's like, I just didn't want to be embarrassed because I didn't think anybody would get in the Mike Buddy line. Everybody would be in the Derek Jeter line and the Joe Torre line or whatever. He's like, so we show up on Sunday morning and I sit in the at the table that has my name on it or the name behind my name behind me or whatever. And there's this enormous line of people for me. And he's like, I just, I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And it's people are coming up, what they're putting in front of him to sign is the team photo. And for the most part, it's signed by every player except for him. And what was really interesting about that was that so many of the, you know, obviously we know Derek Jeter is a, you know, a, you know, the chief executive officer of the Marlins and part of their ownership group and has had an amazing post-playing career himself going to the Hall of Fame and Joe Torre has as well and, and blah, blah, blah. All these guys have. But, you know, what he alluded to in that was that so many of his former teammates are doing you know, autograph shows quite frequently are kind of living off of the, you know, the, you know, the financial freedom that they earned by, by being prominent baseball players for so long and, and not doing, you know, not to say they're not doing a whole heck of a lot, but they're not in real life jobs anymore. You know, they, they essentially, for the most part, in terms of like having full-time employment, you know, stopped and, so they are available to do things like autograph shows. He's like, and, and that's just not something that I could ever do. So, you know, we started to, I started to think about it during the course of the afternoon. And at the very end of the day, we were walking back to his office and I, I, it just kept kind of sticking in my mind, that conversation. And I asked him again, I said, you know, I, I got to ask you something. You know, you had Tommy John surgery and it really prematurely ended your career. He had been with the Brewers for a couple of seasons and was really just getting going when he had to have Tommy John surgery and was not able to come back from it. I said, say that didn't happen. You know, say it was a situation where you just kept playing, you got a big time, you know, long-term contract or whatever. Do you think you would be here today? And 
it really made him take pause and he, and he thought about it for a minute and he said, I don't know if I would be here today, but I would be doing something like this after my career because I just couldn't sit around and play golf every day and do all the, you know, some, some of these things and not, you know, really just be aggressive and be an act person in terms of working. He's like, it's just the way I, I was raised. And it, it was kind of a fun ending to the story to write for me. And it was really interesting how he just was wired or is wired, I guess, that even if he had the success that some of these other players had, I took him at his word that he still would be hustling and forging forward with a, with a post-playing career. You look at that 1998 team photo and there he is. He's standing right next to Mariano Rivera. How cool is that? It's pretty neat. <laughs> Well, it was a great story, Al. And uh, like John mentioned, it's called Cherished Position. Uh, You can find it online at yankees.com slash magazine. If you're a subscriber or you got your hands on a a copy of the July issue, check it out. There's some really great photos from that day at West Point there. You guys lucked out with the weather, it looks like. It was a beautiful day. Absolutely. Yeah, great job. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So why don't we leave it there? And uh, I guess it's a good time to perhaps take that magazine you just opened and and close it because it's about time we talk about the cover of our july 2021 edition which features geo urshela so stick with us hi this is geo urshela you are listening to the yankees magazine podcast this episode is also brought to you by mlb.tv watch every out of market regular season game live or on demand with mlb.tv your subscription also includes the mlb app premium allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I think it's about time to talk about our cover star of the July issue of Yankees Magazine, Gia Rochella. Nate, you took on the piece that we, we'd kind of been circling around for a little bit, all of us kind of wondering when we were going to do it. We finally got Gio Urshela, his own cover, his own really you know, just wonderful. I think I've said wonderful a lot of times in this episode, but it's been deserved each time. <laughs> this is a great story about Gio Urshela, Nate. What I loved about it, and I'll let you talk at some point perhaps, is it's a Yankee story, of course, but it's an Indian story. It's a minor league story. It's a life story in a lot of ways about you know what we are watching, how it develops how it came to be what we're watching right now and obviously as we wait for geo to get back off the covid list and hope that everything is okay it's still a great time to talk about just the impact that he has had on this team since he came over a few years ago and what the future holds for him we got first introduced to geo you know i guess it was the toward the end of 2018 right was that when it was when he came over from toronto and when he kind of took over the role at third base the following season you know, it was very easy to just fall in love with him very quickly. I mean, the way he plays the game, you know, with a smile on his face the entire time, the way he flashes the leather over there at third base for a guy who was kind of unheralded and got him for basically nothing to have him produce like that for the New York Yankees. What's not to love, you know? So I've admired him for, for the last couple of years and had a chance to write a feature story story on him, I guess, two years ago. But, you know, when it was time to, we decided we wanted to put him on the cover of uh, of the magazine this year, you know, really the one thought I had immediately was just wanting to know how did he get to be this good at third base? Because I knew that he had started out as a shortstop, as a lot of infielders do when they're, when they're kids, you know, he was a star as a little leaguer in Columbia uh, as a shortstop, but I had no idea, like, 
you know, exactly when he transitioned to third base or how that transition went. So really that was where I started from. Um, I wanted to know, you know, was it difficult? You know, we remember the stories of, of Derek Jeter and all the errors he made as a minor leaguer and the, the work he had to put in to, to become better defensively. Um, I wanted to know Gio's backstory in that regard. I mean, he's kind of a natural, really a lot of his ability. Sure. It's a lot of hard work, but he, he's been pretty good over there for a very long time. I think it's interesting how, you know, he, he's not this, you know, blue chip type player that, that just, you know, rose quickly through the minor league system of the, of the Indians, but another nod to, to Brian Cashman for, you know, recognizing, you know, some amazing talent and getting him and not giving up really anything, uh, of substance for him. And it's a, it's a roster that we have here. That's, that's got, you know, some, a lot of players like that, you know, and, and, and what an amazing job Brian does his scouting department to, you know, find these diamonds in the rough, you know, going through this story, fact checking it, you know, you really did an amazing job of going so far back into the life he had as a minor leaguer and the struggles that he had and the successes that he had, but also the way that he was admired by his coaches in the minor leagues. And, you know, what was the biggest thing that kind of stood out for you when you talked to or read quotes, I guess, or, or I, I guess there was some of both from his minor league coaches of, of what they recognized in him so many years ago? Yeah, well, you know, I had noticed that his first full season of minor league ball was, I guess, 2011. And uh, he was in low A with the Lake County captains in the uh, Indians organization. And uh, I had noticed that his manager there was a, a guy by the name of Ted Kubiak. I looked him up and saw he's a fellow Central Jersey guy. So that piqued my interest there. But uh, he also had Gio when uh, Gio was just a teenager when he was in rookie ball uh, in Arizona. So I said, boy, if I could somehow track this guy down, uh, I would love to know, you know, what his initial impressions were of Gio. Because, I mean, he had him as a really, really young player, you know, probably when he was 17 and 19 or 18 and 20, something like that. So I was able to, you know, I found a uh, a newspaper writer out in Ohio who had known Ted and gave me his number. And Ted is now 79 years old. He's retired. He lives out in California, but got him on the phone and asked him, you know, just what his memories were of Gio. And first of all, he said, you know, I was pretty certain that he was going to be a major leaguer. Uh, He said he could count on one hand the number of guys he's had throughout a 25-year coaching career that just had that sort of natural ability over at third base. But coupled with that was Gio just had this incredible work ethic. Rookie ball in Arizona in the summer is very demanding physically. And He said they'd be out there all day. One of the big things he worked on with Gio was, you know, we we see Gio make those plays ranging over into foul territory uh, past the third base foul line. They worked on that a lot. Ted Kubiak would hit him 50 or 60 balls a day that would force him to range all the way over and make the throw all the way across the diamond. And so, uh, you know, another thing that Ted said he was a big believer in for all of his players, uh, but especially third baseman, was conditioning. And particularly the lower half, he said, you know, a lot of guys, what happens when they start making errors with their throws, it's because, you know, their legs are either, you know, not positioned properly or they start losing stamina as the season wears on. But he said Gio had no problem putting in the work necessary to to really excel in that area. And, you know, we, we see him reaping the rewards of that still today. 
and it's so obvious, but I think it sometimes needs to be repeated how much luck is involved with players thri- reaching the majors and thriving there. If you read your story, Nate, one, one thing that becomes abundantly clear to me is this was obviously there the entire time. It's not like Gio Rochella learned how to hit in 2018. The issue was almost like a cartoonishly bad run of just timing and luck where it would always be someone else who was getting promoted or there was always an opening at another place and there was always a guy blocking him somewhere. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about a guy needs a change of scenery because like something's not working or whatever personalities are clashing. For Gio, it was literally like there was just no room for him. I mean, you know, he became a stud third baseman for the Yankees, obviously. Well, the Indians still have their stud third baseman there and Jose Ramirez. You know, I, I don't like it's not so simple always who it is that gets to thrive, who it is that gets to succeed. Gio just had to kind of wait it out in a lot of ways. But while he was waiting it out, what is obvious about this guy is that there was never any negativity in it. There was never any sense of like, it's not working. You know, these guys don't believe in me, whatever. You know, I don't believe it was, it was just, I got to find my time and I got to find my chance. And he, he was able to capitalize. And I think that it says a lot about him that he does this so well. I think the other point that has to be made, and Alec, you touched on this too, you, you can say what you want about John Schwartz, the Yankees employee, but I understand that there are a lot of people this year that want to get on the Yankees front office for things that they don't love about this roster. Whatever you want to say about it, the fact is those same people that you are criticizing for not making the move that you wanted or making the move that you didn't like are the guys who found Gio Rochella and found Luke Voigt. And, and that, list, that is a long list of things that are winning players that they have brought in and found where there was absolutely no evidence to the outside world that that was the player they were getting until they showed up here and suddenly became absolute studs. And I, don't, I do not know where the Yankees would be over the last few years without Gio Rochella. And I think that that's just a, it, it, it comes screaming off the pages, I think, of the story, Nate, that you wrote of just how special this guy is and how he just needed a chance to get onto the field. Yeah, and you know, the, the chance almost passed him by here too. I mean, if Miguel Andujar doesn't get hurt at the very beginning of 2019, I mean, he was coming off a monster year in 2018. He kind of had that job locked up, but Gio Urshela was on the wrong end of that stick for so many years, you know, just getting blocked by, like you said, Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, who was a shortstop, but, you know, they kind of came up a, a, sort of at the same rate through the Indian system and were very close. They made their major league debuts within just a few days of each other. You know, they kind of thought that they were going to be the guys together the whole way. And then 2016 comes around and, you know, the Indians put together this great team, go all the way to game seven of the World Series, and Gio doesn't even get a day up in the big leagues. You know, he said that was that was a really hard year for him because he was like the one guy on the 40 man who never saw even a day in the big leagues and missed out on getting a, a, a ring for the American League uh, championship. Probably quite a bit of money as well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, to his credit, he's just always kept that positive mindset. You know, I guess he's always just had the belief that if I continue to work hard and do things the right way, my time will come. Look at him now. He's on the cover of Yankees magazine. I did it, Ma. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I will say he's just, you know, from afar, he's fun to root for. Uh, He's just a really great guy. I mean, you can't really talk to him and come away without a smile and being like, oh man, I wish I could be that positive all throughout my life. <laughs> one, one of my favorite uh, interviewing moments of this uh, team back in the days when we could go into the clubhouse is I was, I, I've made no secret of I'm trying my hardest to learn Spanish. It's not going amazingly, but I do spend you know at least 20 to 30 minutes on it every day. Okay, well let's do the next couple sentences in Spanish. Let's see how well you are doing. <laughs> 
Clara. Uh, so anyhow, so <laughs> one thing that I learned very quickly though was, you know, just try to demonstrate a little modicum of like respect and show that I'm trying to a lot of these guys. You know, obviously I can't conduct a full interview in Spanish, but I do like to totally show them. So what the, one of the early things I learned is to go up to guys that I know speak Spanish and, and just say, uh, you know, do you have a few minutes in Spanish? Uh, Tiana, Tiana's unos minutos. Um, and I went up to, to Gio and I, and I said that to him and he looked at me, he's like, see, see, see. And then I start talking in English. He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like smiling and laughing. And everyone kind of looks over to see what this commotion is. And obviously like, I mean, he, he you know, I, I don't know if he, I don't know if Gio is very verbose and, you know, very uh, wordy and chatty and everything like that in Spanish. He's definitely not in English. And I'm not saying that in any negative way. I, I assume it's obviously extremely hard to speak in a second language and maybe that's just the way his personality is in general. But, you know, it, it always, I, I, I'm trying so hard with all these guys because I want to figure out ways to get more out of them in a sense and, and to learn more about them by speaking in Spanish to them. But obviously with Gio, Nate, you, one of the things that I love much about the story is it's hard to interview Gio sometimes because he does not give you much more than a sentence or two at a time. He, he, he plays things very close. He's extremely humble. And mm -hmm. he's not the type to talk about anything that he's doing with anything much more than, oh, you know, I'm just trying really hard and I'm just working really hard. And every day I put in the work, that's charming and endearing, but it's not the easiest thing to write a story around. But I, I think because of the work you put in with all the people around him, you, you got such a picture of this guy and his work from the story. Yeah. I, I don't know whether I just caught him on a good day or what, but you know, he, he definitely had a lot of really interesting things to say about, especially about his, his early days in the minor leagues and you know, how he got better and the work he put in and, uh, his mindset all throughout the, the ups and the downs. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I gotta, you know, just thank him here publicly for, for giving me that stuff. Cause it, it certainly, uh, made for a much better story than if he hadn't. So it's a terrific piece called love story and part of a great July issue of Yankees magazine. And time, time keeps ticking kind of, and yeah, it does. you know, next thing you know, the August issue is going to be out. And once the August issue is out, we're working on our September issue and you September leads into either the postseason or not the postseason. <laughs> and, and next thing you know, it's 2022, but uh, guys, this has been a fun uh, chat about just two very different players, but two stories that continue to show even in these more difficult times of reporting and writing and all these things, we're still doing it. We're still churning out what I think is terrific content, terrific value to all readers. And I hope that people are checking it out. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Check it out. And to everyone else, thank you for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We hope you are already subscribed. We hope you have already told all of your friends. No better time than right now to grab your friends' phones and make sure they're subscribed, really, on all podcast apps. But you can certainly go to yankees.com slash podcast to subscribe there and follow us on Twitter at Yankees Magazine to hear all the fun things we have coming up on the podcast for the rest of the year. Also, of course, go to yankees.com slash publications to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or to pick up some back issues. You can also, of course, get at the stadium or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. And lastly, all of our long-form content is available online at yankees.com slash magazine. Make sure to check it out and follow along to see what we're doing. Thanks so much. Have a great day and go Yankees. Hi, this is Chad Green. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, 
access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today.